Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that tells me you should always go to other people's funerals, otherwise they won't come to yours. He is the captain. And sometimes I don't even know the bloke. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Tonight, we are drinking Secret Stairs by Trillium Brewing Company, garage grade four and a quarter bottle caps out of five. Secret Stairs is Trillium's signature stout. It's bold, balanced, and very satisfying. It's not too sweet, and there's a bitter cocoa hint in there, which I love. And this wonderful beer was brought to us by these good folks right here. First up, we have Allie and Stacy Q and Parts Unknown. Next, we have Sarah in beautiful Cleveland, Believeland, Ohio. And a big cheers, mates, down under to Emma and Bodie in Bisping, Australia. And we have Rosalind in San Antonio. And last but not least, Hawks and Doves in Raleigh, North Carolina. Thanks, everybody, for your help with this week's shows. If you want to help us out with the beer run for next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com. And while you're there, check out our blog and check out the beautiful, beautiful store page. Yeah, check out the store page. We have Team Nick shirts. We had some leftovers, so we put those on sale. No, they're awesome. They're not... Is leftovers a bad, bad word? Uh, we had some leftovers, and we have new Team Captain V-necks in stock. People ask for them. We haven't had them in stock for about a year, so they're back in stock. Get one today. All right, Captain, everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. During the trial of Kathleen Peterson's death and the attempted prosecution of her husband, Michael Peterson, the prosecution would call into question Elizabeth Ratliff's death. Now, on February 18, 2003, 
Elizabeth Ratliff's two daughters, Margaret and Martha, now Michael Peterson's legal wards, gave the Durham District Attorney's Office permission to exhume their mother's body from her Texas grave. At first, they were reluctant to allow this, but they say they want to clear Michael Peterson's name. They were two and one years old at the time that Elizabeth died. Elizabeth Ratliff was found dead November 27, 1985. She was 43 years old. When Elizabeth's husband died, Michael Peterson would come over to visit her every evening after dinner. Peterson and friends maintained that their friendship was purely platonic. Often, he would help her with the dishes or read to Ratliff's two young daughters before returning home. Elizabeth Ratliff was found tilted sideways at the bottom of a wooden staircase inside her home. German officials concluded at the time that Elizabeth Ratliff died of an apparent stroke and a criminal investigation was never conducted. Reports that she was suffering severe, persistent headaches in the weeks leading up to her death were also known. The coroner determined that the hemorrhaging resulted in immediate death followed by Ratliff falling down the stairs after collapsing. The Petersons had dinner with Elizabeth Ratliff and her daughters. And Michael Peterson had stayed that night to help Ratliff put the kids to bed before going home. Mm-hmm. The children's nanny, Barbara, discovered Elizabeth's body when she arrived the next morning at the home. Yeah, roughly about 11 a.m. Michael Peterson was the last known person to see her alive. Now, before Michael Peterson's trial, the Durham, North Carolina court ordered the exhumation of Elizabeth Ratliff's embalmed body buried in Texas for a second autopsy. Uh, the body was then transported from Texas to Durham. The Durham medical examiner found sufficient evidence to drawn from the results of the second autopsy, along with new witness statements describing the scene to overturn the earlier findings and list Elizabeth Ratliff's cause of death as a homicide. State medical examiner's report states that Elizabeth Ratliff died of blunt force trauma to the head. The autopsy reported several lacerations and fractures to the skull. Now, the prosecution declined to accuse Michael Peterson of Elizabeth Ratliff's death, but introduced the death into the trial as an Incident giving Michael Peterson the idea of how to fake Kathleen Peterson's accident. Now, Regina Green, an old family friend of Michael Peterson's, pointed out in the Staircase miniseries how much Elizabeth Ratliff and Peterson's wife looked alike. So let me get this straight. They do one autopsy at the time of her death. They say that she had a stroke, then she fell down the stairs. Mm-hmm. that would probably be the cause her falling down the stairs would be the cause of the trauma to the head. Then they dig her up. They do a new exam and then they say there's blunt force trauma. And that is the reason why she died. Yes. And then on top of that, now we have a, a friend saying, isn't it strange how much she looked like his wife? Yes. Which wife? The wife at the time? I believe that she was talking about Kathleen Peterson, who he's later being accused of killing. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me there is uh, 
I saw, I'm not going to lie to you, man. I, I saw similarities actually to the point somebody put on one website, a, a side-by-side picture of the two. And I didn't know in advance that I was going to be looking at a side-by-side picture of two different yep, people. Right, right, right. I almost thought it was just Kathleen Peterson at two different points in her life, mm. maybe with a slightly different hairstyle or, you know, at one event dressed otherwise, mm. you know, well, all white people look the same. So, well, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And so the thing is to me, they, in those two pictures that I saw, they could pass as sisters. Right. Very, very much like one another. Now, regarding but what, what, what does it mean though? I don't know that it means I don't know that it means anything, but the thing is here's here's the interesting thing that I find here. Hmm. Is this is kind of a reversal of what the defense would do. So, the defense all along in this trial is letting the prosecution point out to you something that they say is suspicious. And when they present it to you on the surface, it appears to be just that suspicious. Then when the defense comes in, gives you some more information, questions some of that suspicious behavior or suspicious evidence, then you're left going, well, it doesn't seem so suspicious at all. They basically question everything. They're throwing everything at the wall, the defense, to see what sticks, to see if Mm -hmm. any of the jury or all of the jury can go, you know what? We have plenty of reason to doubt this man's guilt. Here, we have the prosecution doing the opposite. You know, they're they're fighting fire with fire, essentially. They're stating, look, we have this woman that died, and he was she was very close to Michael Peterson, died almost in the same way, and we're going to exhume her body. He's the last person to see her. He's the last person to see her. She's found at the bottom of a staircase. And we're going to exhume her body. And then we're going to tell you that there were so many similarities in these two that kind of, they're not saying this directly, but what the seed that they are planting in all of these people, in my opinion, to see if the tree grows is that, well, if you can believe that he killed one of them, then maybe you have to believe that he killed both of them. Yeah. The tricky thing here is I believe the initial autopsy found that Ratcliffe died in the morning. So where he would have saw her at night, it would have been probably 11 PM before he left that they believe that she actually died in the morning Mm -hmm. and he would have an alibi at the time. And that would, the alibi would be his current wife at that time. Well, I'll tell you what, man, watching the staircase the first time. And I do have to, um, point out something here. It, I don't remember when, but a while back we did um, some, we recommended some docu, uh, docu-series, some true crime documentaries to watch to mm-hmm. our audience. And we did come under fire a little bit because we didn't mention the staircase. Now, it, well, at the time I haven't watched it. So. You hadn't watched it. And at the time for me, I watched it when it came out on HBO the first time. I believe it was HBO. And it was so many years before that we put that list together. Mm. I didn't, I wouldn't say I forgot about it, but I think I forgot how good it was, how good the um, documentary was. And so it didn't make my list for those reasons. But I do recall when they brought up this whole Elizabeth Ratcliffe thing, when I watched it the first time and they're like, 
we have two women mm-hmm. close to this individual that died in almost the same manner 16 years apart. Well, shit, that did it for me, Captain. Well, the documentary is called The Staircase. Now we have two women that died in the staircase. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, first of all, I should get a championship belt because, you know, we only have a week to work on these cases. I think I put out... um Wednesday's show, put it out last Wednesday, went home, had lunch, started binging the staircase. I was done with the staircase by Thursday. Mm. I mean, that's like a record. I should get a championship belt for a guy that can sit on the couch and watch 14 hours of a true crime documentary. And I was all by myself. I'm going to start taking applications for people that want to watch documentaries with me. (laughs) Well, like I said, the first time I watched it, I thought for me that was like, all right, that tipped me over the edge. This guy's guilty. Okay. At first, I was like, yes, this guy, he was the last person to see the one lady. She's dead on a staircase. He's the last person to see his wife. She's dead on a staircase. Yeah. Not good. The problem, again, that I have with it is based off the evidence of the first case. One, she had severe, not just kind of headaches. She had severe headaches. Mm -hmm. She was going to go see a specialist or see a specialist again. Yeah, I think. Because of this. Was that scheduled for that week? Or it was scheduled for very shortly before she died. And and Shortly after. Right. And the initial autopsy, which the second autopsy, they would not have the brain. Right. So they could not see the hemorrhaging. So you can tell me all you want about uh, fractures or brain bruising or whatever you want to say, but you don't have all the information. And so the first one saw severe brain swelling, which could also cause brain bruising, which heck for all you, the fractures probably came from falling down the steps. But the thing that I have a hard time with is when there there was no rigor mortis, therefore meaning that when everybody it wasn't first of all Michael Peterson didn't find her, somebody else found the, her. The nanny found her. He didn't call nine one one and say, "Oh my God, it's not the same scenario." Right. The nanny nanny found her. He came over to help. Everybody else was helping. There was a bunch of people there, a bunch of eyewitnesses, and they moved the body, and there was no rigor mortis. And so, uh, and and again, then if you're going to, you're a writer, you're a creative person, you're a known liar. If you really wanted to kill your wife, are you going to do so in the same manner Right, that you possibly killed somebody before? Okay. Well, but again, that goes back to the whole thought for me of premeditation. Right. So if your argument as the state's case would be that he, in a fit of rage during the course of an argument, lost his scruples and killed his wife, Hmm. Kathleen Peterson, Hmm. you would also have to argue that if you believe that Elizabeth Ratliff in 1985 was as beat to death as well, that that would be a similar circumstance where he lost it. He attacked her and beat her to death. Both of those situations do not imply premeditation. Both of those imply that it was a spur of the moment attack. It was was heat of the moment. So again, but the, but the other issue here though, is if we have somebody that was 
quote-unquote beat to death that has fractures, brain bruising, and you're going to tell me that this individual, it's, it's not like he's a, a, yeah, he's a writer. He's not a huge man. But in both cases, you should see skull fra- fractures. You should see brain bruising. You do not see that in both cases. And also, in the first case with Ratcliffe, they think that she actually fell from higher up on the steps. Right. So if she falls higher up on the steps, there's more chances that she's going to have uh, fractures in her skull because of the fall. And and then in um, Kathleen's case, falling not as far down. So therefore, you want to have the fractures. So I guess the thing that's lost on me, because the prosecution didn't, they weren't able to point this out because, again, they're not going to accuse Michael Peterson of Elizabeth Ratcliffe's death. But the thing that's lost on me is, is what are you, what do, are you trying to tell me that this means? Are you trying to tell me that it happened once? So, and he did it and therefore he's capable. Mm-hmm. Okay. I get that, but don't try to tell me that it happened once. It was not premeditated. Then he kills his second wife. It's not premeditated. And that, that means he knew how to do it exactly this way because he didn't plan to kill the first person this way. Right. You know, so I guess that portion is lost on me. The interesting thing here, though, Captain, I believe that they, in attempt to try to tie these together and to point out that Michael Peterson, if you believe he killed one, then you must believe he killed both, mm. is that they tried to point out, I think it was 17 points of similarity between the two incidents. I would argue that if you can find 17 things that were the same, you could find a minimum of 17 things that were different. Right. If not many, many more. It wasn't his wife. The t- the two, I think the two is. It wasn't his house. Right. He didn't call 911. He didn't have any evidence of blood on him. One case has fractures. One doesn't. One has brain bruising. One doesn't. One has brain hemorrhaging. One doesn't. One, the person that falls down the steps has a history or a believed um, uh, physical condition. condition. One doesn't, but one, we believe, is intoxicated. And also probably, and the, the other thing too, is if you look at it, in one case, we have blood, some kind of blood evidence outside of the house. One where we don't really know if we have any blood evidence other than in the staircase. Mm-hmm. So I think it's when we say eyewitness statements uh, regarding the scene had changed as well in Elizabeth Ratcliffe's death or the account of what could have happened. Mm-hmm. Really, all that we have is we have one person who claims to have seen Michael Peterson quote unquote, fleeing the scene that night. Well, first of all, uh, you would, you would have seen him leaving. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you imply his intentions of, and in the manner that he's leaving, what maybe he's in a hurry to get home for any number of reasons. Mm -hmm. So that, and then the similarities, the 17 similarities, which again, I think for every similarity, you could point out a difference, if not a big difference. Right. And the motive would be that, uh, his friend had some money and that therefore he would assume that the money would have been left to him. Uh, but he probably knew at some point that if something did happen to her, he was going to become the guardian of her children. 
but you gotta be pretty sick to be like, I'm going to murder you. Then I'm going to take your money and I'm going to raise your kids. Yeah. That's, it's just a stretch. Well, and these girls grew up to love him. It's not like they grew Mm -hmm. up and they're always this shadow of doubt that, oh, he killed our mother. You know, there's, I mean, you gotta be a pretty big psychopath to not a psychopath. That wouldn't be the correct term, but you get, you got to be pretty nuts to be able to kill somebody, raise their kids in a loving home and, and have them be very intelligent, be very kind, respectful, be upstanding citizens. Well, I had somebody tell me that because he adopted the two girls, that is proof to them that he didn't kill their mother. Mm. I can see that side of the coin. The this the it's opposite nothing, but, right? The but, opposite side of the coin, which I would actually present, is mm-hmm. maybe he did kill their mother, and him taking care of the children is a sign of remorse that he felt bad for. He did something mm-hmm. in a split second; he can't take it back. But what he can do is make sure that these kids are raised in a loving home. But what I do point out again is we don't have these daughters going. Yeah, he was a violent father. Right. You know, we don't have any of that. That could have happened behind closed doors. We don't know. But yeah, we, we don't, don't have anybody saying that. We we don't have any friends saying that. We, we don't have a have lot any of family people members saying, saying that. He's a great guy. He's a great father. Mm-hmm. And and there's evidence of that in the documentary. Just the way he interact, he interacts with his kids. More so. And spoiler alert: more so before he goes to jail. Right. So, um. I think afterwards, I think he's definitely different, but obviously he's older. He's yeah. spent time in prison. He's slowed down, which is obvious. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I think you are 100% spot on regarding this incident of Elizabeth Ratcliffe's death. And then Kathleen Peterson's death mm-hmm. is the medical examiner, the first autopsy. And then 16, is that right? 16 or roughly 17 or 18 years later, the second autopsy takes place on Elizabeth Ratliff. Right. And so what you are spot on in saying is that you are not examining the same set of evidence 16, 17 years later. Right. In my opinion. And I think that I am not just as a fact. And I have a hard time believing that you can completely reverse everything that was believed to have been found in the first autopsy 16, 17 years later, when you're not looking at the same, same piece of evidence. Hold on, let me go through my notes real quick. Looks like the examiner was Fami Malik. Oh, Oh, that's why that's why they reversed it. Old Fami Malik. It was an ulcer. No. So now we're at the point are we at the point now that he gets tried and he is found guilty? Well, yeah, real quick. I want to kind of put my, my final stamp on my final thought regarding Elizabeth Ratcliffe. Mm -hmm. Okay. Where at first, when I was watching the staircase many years ago, when it first came out, I jumped off, off of the couch and I went, that's it. He did it. He's guilty. He's guilty. I got him. POS. I'm done. You sick son of a bitch. And now, years later, having looked at it under a different light, under a different microscope, and putting together information for this week's case, 
I didn't realize back then that it was ruled that she had a stroke. And so I look at it now and I go, I I can't say with 100% certainty that he didn't kill her, but I can say with about 99%, I feel pretty strong that he didn't kill Elizabeth Ratcliffe. And I think it has no bearing on if or not he killed Kathleen Peterson. I agree. I also think that it comes down to there's evidence of a stroke or they believe there was a stroke hemorrhaging of the brain. There is a lot of skull fractures. I believe that happened from her falling down the steps. And I think the lack of rigor mortis and the, the idea that there was so many eyewitnesses that found her body, saw how he was reacting and then taking her daughters and raising her, um, again, has no bearing on whether he killed his wife or not. Well, after more than three and a half months of trial, captain, the jury would finally decide the fate of Michael Peterson. Now, among the jurors, we had an accountant, a correctional officer, two retail salespeople, a shipping coordinator, two computer operations specialists, Mm. and a telecommunications analyst, and three nurses. So two people studied computer. Okay. They originally took a vote to see where everyone stood, and it turned out that they were pretty much divided. Four guilty, four people stating he's guilty, three Mm. stating not guilty, and five undecided. They went over the case again. After hours of debate, they kept coming back to one single exhibit, the autopsy photos of the back of Kathleen Peterson's head. Mm -hmm. A juror contacted after the trial noted that the jury dismissed the idea of the blowpoke as the murder weapon. Mm -hmm. By and large, the jurors were swayed by the amount of blood Kathleen lost and the number of lacerations, which indicated to them it could not have been an accident. So on October 10th, 2003, a Durham County jury found Michael Peterson guilty of the murder of Kathleen Peterson. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Denial of parole requires premeditation. Despite the jury accepting the murder was a quote spur of the moment crime. They also found it was premeditated. One juror explained premeditated meant not only planning hours or days ahead, but could also mean planning in seconds in the seconds before committing a spur of the moment crime. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, 
Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, cheers, mates. Cheers to you, Captain. Hot in the garage, so I'm I'm switching over to proper 12 whiskey. Well, I'll tell you what. So we this is the point in the show where we have to kind of speed. That we drink whiskey. We have to speed through a couple of things because this Mm. part is necessary to report, but there's a lot of minutia. There's a lot of dry, boring stuff that takes place over the course of several years to get to the final result. So we're going to give you the short of it. The quick we're going to give you the quick and dirty version, okay? We're going to give you the quickie. So remember the prosecution had a blood spatter expert who gave testimony against Michael Peterson at his trial. Well, that guy was Dwayne Deaver. And Dweaver Dweaver. <laughs> he is a Dweaver. Well, Deaver was fired from the SBI. Don't be a Dweaver. In January of 2011, Mm -hmm. after an independent audit of the agency found he had falsely represented evidence in 34 cases, Deaver, as we stated, testified in the 2003 Michael Peterson trial. So this is going to cause a big problem for the prosecution and for the conviction of Michael Peterson. Yeah, and there was actually jury members that came forward saying a lot of their turning from a not guilty to guilty was based off of this guy's testimony. Correct. So we have all these court proceedings that take place that are going to challenge the court's ruling, the jury's ruling that he should be convicted and sent to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Hmm. They're basically asking for it to be overturned for the conviction to be overturned in turn. The, judge is going to state, well, we probably should just have a new trial, right? We should, we could get rid of this evidence. We could reexamine what can be allowed at the new trial and we should just go from there. So like with any situation or most situations, they're going to allow Michael Peterson to be released from Durham County jail on a $300,000 bail and placed under house to house arrest Mm -hmm. with a tracking anklet in while he waits for this new trial to take place. Right. So again, there's more fighting of whether there should be a trial. Can we just get this dismissed or no, there should be a new trial on November 14th, 2016, a new trial was scheduled to begin on May 8th of 2017. However, news reports in February of 2017 indicated that a resolution had been negotiated by Peterson's defense and the Durham County DA. Yeah. And let's, let's back this up a little bit. I I just want to, they had a bunch of hearings, uh, whether to not let certain things in. And basically Peterson got his ass handed to him on the last hearing. And, and so they didn't want to try to make a deal with the DA or didn't think it was time to ask for a deal. 
but oddly the DA came after him and said, Hey, we'd like to offer you this deal. So then, then it was up to him to take that deal. So what took place then was in February of 2017, Michael Peterson entered an offered plea, a guilty plea whereby the defendant asserts his innocent mm-hmm. innocence, but admits that sufficient evidence exists to convict him of the offense. This was a uh, plea to involuntary, I'm sorry, voluntary manslaughter of Kathleen Peterson. Mm-hmm. The judge sentenced him to a maximum of 86 eight, six months in prison with credit for time served. So what does this mean? This means that Michael says, yes, I'm guilty. Yes. The time that I served already is warranted. Meaning I can't sue the state for putting me in jail. It's also, but he's also stating I didn't do this. Mm -hmm. So it's off the record stating I didn't do this. Yes. I, but I, well, no, I think it's on the record. I mean, they 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 make the deal, but they get to make a statement in court. Oh yeah, yeah. So, Sorry. I mean, I I just, you know, this is a way. This is difficult because I don't think Michael Peterson wanted to take this deal, uh, but at the same time, he's getting older, so he's going to go through another two and a half year trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it would have been as long of a trial as the last one, mm-hmm. but. So that becomes difficult. And he, and then your whole family has supported you. And I, I believe one of his daughters actually said, if we take this deal, it's almost like we did all this for nothing. Right. And and I believe that's how you would feel. I think on, on his standpoint too, I think the other thing you have to, because you wonder the psyche of why they're taking this deal. I think one, he knew that, if he's innocent, that injustice was done before. And, but if, but whether or not he's innocent or guilty, he still might go to jail for the second time and he'd go away for life. And he would, you know, so he's been in jail for all these years. He gets out. I think that there becomes a bigger fear of ever wanting to go back in. Well, he's what? 70 years old now, roughly. Well, and also the money, he doesn't have as much money. So if any, where is he going to get this money to pay for good attorneys? And his attorney that he paid pretty good money the first time. His last name is Rudolph. Yeah, he's getting to the point where he's like, I can try to help you, but you don't have the financial means to pay me. Not only that, I think at this point, Rudolph was in a different city. Um, so it probably got difficult for him to travel in well, and out. it costs more money. Right. And if you're not getting paid what you should get paid, I, I totally understand. I, I think he... Look, I'll just say I watched the documentary when I heard that there was two women that were dead in similar circumstances. I was like, okay, well, that seems fishy. And then I'm watching the trial. And, yes, the documentary is from the defense standpoint. So you get to see more of that. But when it came time to read the verdict, the initial verdict, and they said guilty, I was like, what? And now this is a pretty popular documentary, but I just never seen it. I mean, I was shocked, like not saying that I think that he's innocent or guilty. What I'm stating is I didn't think the state proved their point. But again, you're watching a documentary from the defense point. There's so many things that are left out of these documentaries. If you're watching something like, uh, 
if you, let's say you're watching and making a murder and you can say that somebody's guilty or innocent based on just that documentary it's a documentary there a lot of it is informative but a lot of it is skewed is skewed and it's just like it's just like when people say to me uh when they talk about the Adnan Syed case whether he, they say he's guilty or innocent and I go what information have you looked up I listen to serial it doesn't start there that's just one person's perception of that that's just one telling of the case so I think in this case it becomes difficult because they show so much of the defense that you start almost siding with him not saying that he's innocent or guilty but you you're saying that they're put in on a good enough defense that they should say not guilty I agree I absolutely agree. I don't think that the prosecution put together that great of a case. Actually, when I looked at the evidence and the the evidence that they presented in the light that they presented it, mm-hmm. I found it difficult for me to under I understand their theory that there's an argument. I think there are things that point to that being very plausible and that at some point he killed her. The problem is where you can't push me over the top to saying that he's guilty is they're a little unclear and a little weird about the actual cause of death. And they're 100% weird and uncertain of the time of death. And that, for me, didn't put together that great of a case. I think that if they had not dropped the ball on those items, Mm -hmm. they could have probably persuaded me to state that he's guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. But, but... The thing is, I think what they relied on, and it's got to be obvious to so many people, they think or thought, and rightfully so, they were successful in this, that look, if we put together a case that states that we think that he killed her and this is why and this is how it happened, we don't have to prove that so much as that we can prove he's bisexual, he was going outside of the marriage, whether she knew or not, mm-hmm. Um We can prove that somebody close to him died in a similar way 17 years ago. Mm -hmm. And we have a blood spatter expert who's going to say this was a homicide. Everything that I see at the crime scene tells me she was beat to death. And I think that they knew that that was those three things were too. They were too big of boulders for for the jury to get over. And it was going to completely lead them back to a guilty verdict at some point. Yeah, I think simply their thought was, we just have to prove that this was not an accident, and then they'll find him guilty. Right. So let's get to a theory. So again, I just watched this last week. If you haven't watched it, you got to watch it. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, the new episodes they added to it, I uh, everybody said, oh, they're a little lackluster. You get to kind of see what happens, that you know he takes the plea deal. And that's it. That's the end of it. Um, But they're kind of wasted episodes, I really think. They could have condensed it down more. And um, But I thought it was a pretty good documentary. But then uh, we were talking on the phone last week, and he said, well, what about the owl theory? Yeah. And I was like, wait a second, we can't talk about it because I haven't, I haven't done any research on it. So get let's get into the owl theory. Well, like I said, I have a problem stating that Michael Peterson's innocent. Um, I can't say that 100%. But I also can't say that he's guilty 100% in my mind. 
But then you add the Al theory into this and it, it throws everything. It throws everything for me because it's interesting. It's interesting. So the theory is that Kathleen Peterson's death um, was caused by an attack by an owl outside. This actually was a theory that one of their neighbors came up with. Yeah. So that she was attacked by an owl outside of her home in the front of the house. Remember, Mm -hmm. there was a blood droplet or two found on the walkway. And then we have a small blood smear on the front door. Mm -hmm. This is her blood. So what was pointed out, the owl theory was raised by Durham attorney T. Lawrence Pollard. He's a neighbor of the Petersons who was not involved in the case, Mm -hmm. but had been following the details of the case. He approached the police suggesting that an owl might have been responsible after reading the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation evidence list and finding a feather listed on the evidence list. Now, Peterson's attorneys had determined that the SBI crime lab report listed a microscopic owl feather Mm -hmm. and a wooden sliver from a tree limb entangled in a clump of hair that had been pulled out of by the roots found clutched in Kathleen's left hand. A reexamination of the hair in September of 2008 had found two more microscopic owl feathers. Okay, so we have these microscopic owl feathers. Now, you know, let's so we're not spending three hours on this. One, it could be from an owl. The other thing that possibly is they if they have certain types of feather pillows, that this could be the reason why they would find a microscopic fiber of a owl feather in her hair. Correct. So, but you're talking about the the branch in her hand. So there was an owl feather and um, basically like a little splinter of a piece of wood that would have come from a tree outside of the home. And this was found, these items were found in the hair that had been pulled out from the root of her scalp Mm -hmm. that was later found in her hand, clutched in her hand. She was holding her hair. She was holding portions of her hair. Okay. So one, the, the idea at first, when I hear this idea, I think this is ridiculous because I'm starting to think that she's walking into her house. She gets into the staircase and then she's attacked by an owl. And w- that's what I thought it was. And my idea was then wouldn't the owl after the owl attacked her, wouldn't the owl leave more evidence that the owl was in the house? Mm-hmm. But this theory is, is actually that she was attacked by an owl out front out front away from Michael Peterson. If this went down the way that they think she would have been in front of the house, he would have been back by the pool and he, we've already determined the the size of their yard, their property and their home. It was proven that at certain points from that property and from that home, if you're in one area, you can't hear somebody screaming in another area. Yeah. And, and again, now let's, let's put this in perspective when people see the lash. Okay. When people see the lacerations on her head, Right, they start assuming that those were made by an owl. Now, that's kind of what the owl theory is, but that's where you'd be a dummy because if you actually saw lacerations that were put onto females' heads, males' heads, any kind of laceration that was made by an owl, her lacerations were inches long. Mm -hmm. These are centimeters. These are tiny lacerations that are made by an owl. Now... 
there are zero deaths by our attacks a year. Zero. Right. So, but here's where you have to put this in perspective. Again, I thought the owl theory was ridiculous. She's outside. She is attacked by an owl. A typical attack. A couple small lacerations on her face that nobody can explain. Not any examiner can explain the little tiny lacerations on her forehead. You can't explain the the feather other than maybe a pillow. And you can't explain the little splinter of wood that's in her hair. So, Al attacks her. Leaves a couple marks. She's disoriented. She's drunk. She's on volume. She then decides, I got to get in the house. I leave the blood outside on the door I need I'm going to go upstairs right Mm -hmm. when you go to go upstairs you're bleeding a little bit but you're still intoxicated and then you fall Mm -hmm. and then the falls that were determined by the defense eyewitness or not eyewitness but the expert witness uh, with the biomechanics then all that stuff makes sense Mm -hmm. and that also makes sense why she's holding a piece of her hair Mm mm-hmm so that to me would make the owl the owl theory make sense. Yeah, yeah. The theory, the way that it, that I understand it is that look, it, it's a barred owl, um, and apparently these attacks I've been told are not uncommon in that area, and that there were these types of owls located on their property or near their property. There were many people in the area that had stated that they had some kind of encounter with a barred owl before some of them saying they had even been attacked. Now under this theory, Kathleen's attack by this owl would be a little more violent than traditional. Um, meaning that they think that if she somehow encountered this owl, that the owl came became entangled in her hair and that she would have reached up naturally reached up behind her to try to defend herself and at which the owl could not get away is not deliberately clawing her, but basically call, clawing the back of her head right. and the, the contusions or the cuts on the front of her head on her forehead. And I believe just below her eye would have been the beak of the owl. So picture the talons, the feet of the owl on the back of the head. She's reaching up toward the owl and then the owl is bending forward and trying to defend itself, pecking her in the front of the the face. Right. And so therefore at some point they break up, you know, the owl gets away. She goes running inside naturally, Mm -hmm. leaving a little bit of blood along the way. And then the injury is so great that she loses her footing or falls backwards on the stairs. As you had said, Uh, you know, what's weird about this though, captain for me is that I feel like this while on the surface seems like a crazy theory, mm-hmm. I don't think I can discredit it 100%. It, it, it seems plausible. It seems something that, that's possible. Well, the, the thing in this case is you have to explain things. You have to explain why there's blood droplets on the front porch, why there's blood on the front door. You have to explain that. And this theory explains that. It does. And it also explains why she has a chunk of her hair in her hand. Right. Uh, because if that was entangled, I, but again, I think you would find more evidence of an owl 
if she was really that wrapped up and that entangled because we still the the other thing too is that we still have those impact marks that's science you have to explain those impact marks on the frame the door frame so well, she could have still hit those portions right, as right. she fell right, as a result of, a, of an owl attack. But right. where I have an issue with this theory, not to say that it didn't happen. The problem with it is there wasn't there wasn't really a chance to prove this theory or disprove this theory. Meaning what I mean by that is it wasn't until years later that somebody came up with this theory. The defense never came up with this theory. They thought, like you said, that maybe that feather came from a, a down comforter or a down pillow. Well, and actually, and, the, the, his new defense team actually looked into this theory, and they thought there's just too many holes in, holes in the theory for us to even use it as a defense. Okay. So, and that's, you know, yes, we're into true crime. We know a lot of stuff, but you think his lawyers would be the ones to tell you, hey, there's too many holes in this this theory so we couldn't use it well the other thing too even if it didn't come from a pillow or a comforter or something like that that was already inside the home what about you know the the prosecution doesn't get a chance to disprove this theory either because Mm -hmm. it wasn't presented and what i mean by that is had this been a theory the night of when they're collecting evidence the night of in the morning after well they could have potentially combed michael peterson's hair and said well we found the same feathers microscopic feathers in his hair well where did these come from right maybe they came from the backs of the chairs that they were sitting on outside but but again the 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 reason why i do like this theory is it it explains the blood outside the house but it also explains these little lacerations that nobody's no expert witness whether it's coming from the defense or the prosecution can explain these little tiny lacerations so that's one reason that makes me go, mm, maybe this is not such a dumb idea. I'll give you the little tiny lacerations. The other thing, though, is the blood out front of the house and the blood on the doorway could have also come from a blood-soaked Michael Peterson who just attacked his wife from behind and beat her to death and decided to run out front for some reason or, or, or touch the door for some reason. He goes in and finds his wife, and he calls 911, and he's waiting around. A lot of people argue too. Oh, when he calls nine one one, he doesn't sound like he's by her body. And most people that call nine one one are by the the person's body that had the accident. Not always true. I think it becomes fight or flight. He's also drunk. Maybe he had to get out of the room. Oh my god, I can't take this. I got to get out of the room. Whether he is the cause of her injuries or not, the cause of his her injuries, he is covered in blood. He at some point takes off his shoes. Is it possible? Because now he's not, his feet don't have any blood. Is it possible that he walks outside to see if the ambulance is there yet and leaves a little blood? Right. On the, on I agree the, with that. So whether he was guilty or not, that would explain the evidence outside. Yes. And I agree with you 100%. I mean, you, as much as you want to stay there and tend to the victim, and try to help her along at the same point, you're going to be wondering, Hey, if these people show up to potentially save her life at the last minute, I better make sure the front door's unlocked. Right. Or, or, and open or you're panic- and open. Yeah. Or you're panicking and you just run to the front door and to see if they're there. Right. So, I mean, that's not that far fetched. All right. Did he do it? Captain boom. 
hit you hit you hard with that, didn't I? Did he do it? It's tough, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's. I mean, this is actually probably. Do you one, think it's one the of toughest? The, the one of the toughest. Did he do it? How many times have you changed your mind, roughly, in the past? Never. Okay. But that's because that's I'm, pretty solid. But that's because I'm never made up my mind. Oh. So it's. I don't think there was enough evidence to convict him, but I, you know, um, I, I don't know. And I, and I think the things are one that they show how some of those lacerations would have came onto her head based off the biomechanics. So I believe that, but I can't figure out did she accidentally fall, which Mm -hmm. she had enough volume and alcohol in her system that she could have fell. And that would be, that would be a plausible explanation. And people say, well, there's a lot of blood. Well, you're a little bit older. Your skin's a little bit thinner, especially on your scalp. You bleed a lot, mm-hmm. especially if you have that high of alcohol levels. You're gonna have thinner blood. I mean, I I got a tattoo one time after days after drinking, mm-hmm. and I mean, the guy told me two or three times I might have to stop. I mean, you are bleeding, bleeding all over the place. And see, he was like, "Just some people bleed differently. So is it possible that she hit her head and then it caused all that blood, which caused her to slip multiple times? Maybe." And the other thing, though, too, is uh, they have all these other theories that, okay, well, the weapon wasn't the poker. The weapon was his hands, and he actually beat her head against the stairs. Okay, I would argue then, well, you, you, maybe you get lacerations from beating her head against the, the, the stairs, but where's the brain bruising? Where's the swelling? Right. Where's the, you know, it's that's where it becomes so odd. How do you get these marks you know what I mean? Like, how do you get these marks without getting any skull fracture? That was the single hardest thing for me to get over to. That was this and still remains. I, I shouldn't say get over. It's something that just doesn't make any sense to me where I think it might make some sense to me is as I pointed out before, the jury didn't believe that the blow poke was the murder weapon. I don't believe that the blow poke was the murder weapon. Mm-hmm. I don't see how somebody could make those marks on the scalp using that item without fractures in the skull. So that portion kind of makes sense to me. The thing is I'm with you captain in the sense that if I were sitting on the jury, I wouldn't have been able to convict Michael Peterson of the murder of Kathleen Peterson. I think that the defense did a good enough job. Well, based off the documentary. Based off of what I saw in the documentary, correct. Um, And based off of what I've researched since then. Now, if it all went down as I believe that it went down, like I said, sitting on the jury, I wouldn't be able to convict him. I think there was reasonable doubt that he didn't commit this murder. Now, I'm not saying that he's innocent. Now, Well, mind you, too, if you were on the jury, you didn't see his uh, initial eyebrows because they were trimmed. Well, you might have convicted him with his initial eyebrows now gun to my head. I have to Guns. make a okay, decision. Hold on. Let me get one out. All right. Okay, make sure it's, it's locked and loaded. Take, take the, the safety off. Yeah. This is what you do when you're drinking. No, don't say ever, that. Don't, don't say that. Don't damn ever it. touch a gun when you're drinking. We're, we're going to be all right. Don't Serious t- note. Don't play with guns. Don't <laughs> drink and play with guns. All right. Sorry. Gun to my head. 
meaning I have to make a decision. Right, right. Guilty, not guilty. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with guilty. I, mm. I'm going to say Michael Peterson killed his wife. And, and here's where I'm going with this. This is, this is what I believe happened. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to use his words to convict him in my mind. Mm-hmm. And his words on the, um, to the documentary, uh, the staircase documentary, when he's recounting that night, he says that around 11 o'clock, we finished watching the movie, went into the k- kitchen for a while. We talked for a while for a good amount of time. We went out to the pool, talked for a good amount of time. She goes inside, goes to bed. I stay outside, have a smoke. I come inside. I find her dead. I call 911. We do know that the 911 call happened at 2.40, 2.41 in the morning. Okay. Where I have a problem with his version of the story is at no point does he tell us that she had a phone conversation in his office with her coworker at 1108. Mm-hmm. This was the time that they were supposed to be done with the movie and in the kitchen talking. Right. And then she's waiting on a very important email. Now people have pointed out that she never opened that email that came through at 1153. That means he killed her before 1153. I don't believe that 100% because the meeting was the next day at 10 AM. Right. She could have just wanted to make sure that that email came in. I'll check it first thing in the morning. Right, but you, you, she might have checked to see if it was there. Like, she could have checked to see if it was there. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, I think what happened, and I'm using the state's evidence, which I know is slightly flawed, mm-hmm. but the state's evidence was that she would have died of blood loss that would have taken 90 minutes to two hours for her to bleed out. Mm-hmm. Well, she was reported dead. She's reported dead by Michael Peterson at 2.46 a.m. in the morning. And what I mean by that is on the first call, he repeatedly states she's still breathing. On the second call, he says she's no longer breathing. He might have thought she was breathing, though. I'm going by his, again, I'm Mm -hmm. going by his words. And if she's coughing up blood or spitting up blood, it's going to be pretty obvious that she's breathing. She's going to be breathing heavily, too. So, yeah. He, by his own words, she was breathing at 241 and not breathing at 246. If it took 90 minutes to two hours for her to bleed to death, I don't feel like there's enough time in his story for her to have fallen accidentally and bled out for an hour and a half to two hours before he finds her and then calls 911. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the 11 o'clock stuff makes sense or not. The other thing I would really want to know, uh, and it never was answered was, is he a night owl? No pun intended. It doesn't matter to me though. Go ahead. No, the reason why is because for a couple to normally married couples go to bed together. Sometimes they don't always, especially when they're drinking one drinks more than the other. They go, I'm going to go to bed. They're like, Hey, I'm up. I'm up partying. But you don't normally stay up that much longer. But he's a smoker, so is it possible that they were drinking and then he sat there and smoked? And how did he stay out there for two or three hours? Mm-hmm. Is his timeline wrong? He was drinking. You know, like they, they had the conversation at 11. They go outside. Let's say they're only outside for a couple, uh, 30 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. She goes, I'm going to bed. Okay, good night. She has her accident. He's out there. Till two thirty or whatever. 
then then things start adding up. I don't know if she'd be breathing, but again, I mean, we we again, we don't even know if she was breathing or not. But by his own words, she was breathing. Yeah, and, but I don't give a shit about words. I want to get. I want well evidence. You know. Okay, I'm trying to put together my thought and my opinions of the case if he's guilty or not. No, no, I agree with I agree, I agree with what you're saying. What I'm saying is can't the medical examiner tell us when a closer time no. when she died? No. And that's why I said that they dropped the ball mm-hmm. earlier. If you look yeah. at the autopsy, the original autopsy states time of death 2:40 a.m. question mark. And what I'm stating here is I have to use Michael Peterson's own words and then work that back against some of the evidence that we have there. And the evidence that's stated by the state is it would have taken an hour and a half to two hours for her to bleed to death. He's stating that at 2.41, she's alive, and at 2.46 a.m., she's dead, meaning that she went inside either at 1.15, if we are to believe his story, mm-hmm. that she went inside as late as one fifteen in the morning or as early as 1245 AM in the morning. And then magically she falls down the steps. He comes in. He says about 30 minutes, 40 minutes after she went inside, he went inside. And I understand he could have his times off a little bit. Mm-hmm. The, prob- it, it the may- problem though is if in fact the state is right, that mm-hmm. it took an hour and a half for two hours for her to bleed to death. His story doesn't match up. It just doesn't match up. Yeah. Also, I think the difficult thing is one one of the things that defense said was they looked at all the cases that somebody died from blunt force trauma and there was never a case that there wasn't skull fractures. So what did he use? I think the bio, um, what did I figure out? It was biomechanics. There we go. The, biomechanic expert was correct I think but again how did she fall did she slip or did she get pulled down and if you got pulled down hard enough would you possibly pull out some hair Mm. and then she would grab her hair and now she has her some hair chunks out of her and if you you didn't ask me before if you put a gun to my head but if you put a gun to my head, I'd have to say he was he was guilty of this. I personally, what I think happened here, I, I don't think, obviously, the blowpoke was used to kill Kathleen Peterson. I don't know that he intended to kill her. I think that maybe that there was, like the state said, an, an argument that escalated into some kind of physical attack. Um, the result was her her murder and that he caused her death. Yeah, and, and, but, and th- but think about this too, though. If he pulls her hair, right, or pushes her, whatever, to get, there's some kind of attack. It's more likely that she then moves around more, struggles more when she's down there, tries to get back up on her feet. Mm-hmm. It's just more likely than if she just fell. Because the way the defense tries to make it out is that she just fell, she starts bleeding. And then she tries to get help and she tries to stand up. She try, you know what I mean? Well, I think the problem here really is that I do think that she fell down the steps. And I think that the fall was not um, by way of her being drunk or taking Valium or wearing flip-flops or being attacked by an owl out front of her house. 
I think she was attacked by Michael Peterson and that caused her to have injuries that caused her to fall as she hurried up the stairs. And then she suffered injuries during the course of that fall, which made it very confusing in the end for all of us to determine, was it an attack or was it a fall? Personally, I think that some kind of argument ensued in the kitchen. And I think that if I had to pick a weapon, I think it might've been a corkscrew. I think that he might have tried to punch her or try to smack at the back of her head as she was leaving him defiantly in the course of the argument. And he scratched and clawed her with the corkscrew, whether it be intentional or not. Mm -hmm. But that caused some of the lacerations, which then she went up the stairs, fell backwards, hit her head again, which resulted in the lacerations getting bigger or splitting, like they had said. thanks for listening thank you for sharing on social media it's because of you that we can continue to drink in the garage and disagree and agree and disagree and And agree and And disagree all right all right so check uh check out our other show uh off the record it's on stitcher premium it's five dollars a month and what's cool is not only do you get our show but you get our show without commercials. Mm-hmm. You also get other shows without commercial. It's it's basically the Netflix for podcasting. And if you want to just dip your toes in the water rather than dive all the way into the deep end, mm-hmm. I, you can try it for free for 30 days. So you can check out Stitcher premium and see if you love it. We're getting all kinds of great reviews. I appreciate those. Everybody make sure you join us back here in the garage next week. Until then be good, be kind and don't litter. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.